Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Stephen Devonish. And I'm Matt Croger. And it's my great pleasure to introduce Stephen as the new Australian Master for 2023. Uh, welcome, Stephen, and congratulations. Thank you. And I, I do say 2023. There was a there was a pre Masters Day disaster where I realised I'd ordered the labels for the trophy saying 2024 Master. <laughs> it's a bit I, premature, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Nick Prosser, he had to do an SOS run to the trophy shop. So um, I got I got confused by myself with the side tournament where I'd written I'd called it 2024 Rising. And so as I was writing it out for what he needed to get on the trophies, I'd just written 2024 Masters. So. Uh, thankfully, they could turn around a new set in, in time and didn't didn't cost an arm and a leg. So, <laughs> just as well. Well, you're all set up for next year, then, eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought that today. Actually, I saw them and I was like, I real, I should put those somewhere safe. <laughs> uh, before we get into it, now, Stephen, you haven't been on before, but we'll do. We will do introductions, but we always swing straight into a hobby update. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I've been. I took my salamanders to masters. And uh, I'd done a fair bit of hobby on them in the the lead up to Masters. Put them aside just for a moment. I've got plenty of stuff I still want to do for them. And I'm finishing off a, a printed Sylvankin list um, that I'm just basically whacking colours on just to the points at, at 2300 and I'm not going to expand it too much. It'll just sit there and I'll play it when I want to. And And then I plan to add some units to my Halflings next, I think, and my uh, Dragon Empire Basalians. Going to add some sisters. I was always planning to add some sisters, but uh, Clash of Kings gives me even more reason to add some sisters to the to the Basalians. Yeah. Not sure if you've had an opportunity to check out the changes on the companion yet, Stephen? Uh, I've had a quick look, uh, mostly just for the armies that I play, but um, yeah, there's some pretty interesting, interesting changes there. Uh, yeah, I'm trying the, to think of... The, the Horde of Sisters gets Rampage 10. <laughs> no, you're kidding, right? No, not at all. Really? Rampage 10? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Rampage 10. That's massive. So, like, hit, hit on fours, but, yeah, it is a, that's a, it's a pretty big buff. Yeah. I'm, gonna, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, they go the up to 40 attacks. <laughs> that is huge. That yeah, is wow. Huge. Get, your, get your dice out. Yeah, exactly. Um, what, what about yourself, hobby-wise? What have you, you been working on? Yeah, so I haven't been doing too much recently just with um, with life and and masters, but mm. I have slowly, slowly been working on my um, salamander. So I, I do have an old um, GW salamander, or what are they called, lizard men army uh, that I've played for King, Kings of War before, mm -hmm. but I uh, wanted to make it a mantic army. So I've been working on that through this year. I started off on the slow grow, but I was too slow for the slow grow. So pretty much been pretty much finished the the basing for that army and started on the. Uh, Corsairs and Salamander Primes, so it's a it's a slog because I'm very slow, but uh, we're getting there. Um, and as well as just finishing off a few units for the Ogres just prior to Masters, um, so 
crocodile here or there and um, a few other units. But uh, yeah, not not too much recently. Well, we've got you on to, uh, tonight, mate, to talk about a couple of things. Uh, I really want to do a list builder studio with you. So we're, get, we're doing a bit of a crossover and we're also going to talk about your master's experience. And the, the reason I really wanted to do the list builders is, uh, I mean, just my personal opinion is the players that I rate best in the country or even the world are, are those that you know, don't necessarily build the list that's just a counter to the meta or has the always has the most efficient units or, you know, I, I think the players that build a list with the more balance through the phases and to compete across the scenarios and army types and uh, and that can win with those tend to be the better players. And I certainly have you in that basket. Uh, we always have, although, you know, didn't tip you for it this year. Tipped you for it last year, but not not this <laughs> year. But, you know, we also didn't rob you, rob you of five minutes this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, too soon. Yeah, yeah, it's only been soon. a year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I've always found your your list to be uh, in in that balanced, and I think we'll see that across your games. Is that there's no real big wins in there. It's all about scenario and and just getting the win in general. And and I think in we're we're seeing a little trend at the moment, whether it's temporary or or whether it will be prolonged. But we're now got you with the Aussie Masters. The US, or or should I say, the Canadian Master, uh, won with a balanced list, and the UK Clash of Kings uh, also won by a more balanced list. So, you know, we we hear a lot in the list building about, you know, how do we make the list the most powerful possible? But I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing from you tonight on that. But before we go further, I'd like to I. I had in my notes remind the audience a bit more about you because I thought we'd had you on before, but uh, you informed me that we haven't. Shows you how good my memory is these days. So um, let, let's hear a little bit more about Stephen Devonish, or as Kakwa's taken to calling you now, Stephen Devilfish. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting name, isn't it? I've never been known as a devilfish before, but we'll uh, we'll run with whatever, I suppose. Grew up in Melbourne, and then I moved to moved to Thailand. A uh, little while ago, spent four years there, and for the last five years now, I've been living in Canberra um, or ACT, and uh, work just north north of Canberra at a uh, conference centre where we do lots of school camps. Um, I have a wife and daughter in northern Canberra, and we, yeah, I've I've always enjoyed games and sports of all kinds. So anything from table tennis at in, at times in my life through to through to competitive tennis um, in the ACT area, and as well as uh, board games and whatnot, just socially having a bit of fun like that. So yeah, and I mean specifically on the gaming front, I know you've been in in um, Kings for a while. Like we used to occasionally get you if you were in town to visit family when you'd flown in from Thailand. You'd you'd come in, you know, take all the chocolates and leave again. Um, <laughs> So you've been playing, I think, since second. But does your wargaming history extend before that? Yeah. So I actually started um, tabletop wargaming in second year uni. It was had a mm-hmm. had a friend who had uh, a what was it, Vampire Counts and Bretonian Force. So mm-hmm. we we um, set up a little game on his on his uh, dining table, and yeah, I was I was hooked from there. I loved the the flow of the game and the the, the story behind it was a really thematic setting, you know, with the vamp- evil vampires and the, the holy knights. So uh, I did enjoy enjoy that and uh, ended up getting my first list was a uh, Lizardman Force. So uh, got all that together and, yeah, I'd 
I, I enjoyed a few tournaments, but I wasn't really massive on the tournaments until um, I, funnily enough, went to went to Thailand and started enjoying some games on on UB and uh, and cemented uh, my love of Kings of War. Yeah, great. And and, and you had um, some success during that COVID period in on the in the UB scene. I think coming did did you come quite high up in one of the big UB tournaments early on second or something like that? I think around the same time Taz was doing well or something. You won one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I forget which year it was, um, but I won I won one of them, and I think I got in the top ten in another one. But um, a lot of <laughs> a, a lot of that is is getting a little bit lucky at the right times, um, as as is this Masters. But sometimes you got to be in it to win it. Yeah, I think a little bit of luck, although, you know, when you win every single game, I think, and five games for a 16-player tournament, I think luck, luck comes less, but there, uh, there's always going to be some, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> I did I did buy a couple of my opponents um, beers afterwards, just, uh, you know, sometimes there can be a little bit of feeling about how the dice swing at key turns, yeah. but um, yeah, it's uh, that's, that's why we play a dice game, isn't it? Sometimes they love you, sometimes they don't. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, no, no point uh, crying about it because it'll come back in your favour one day. That's right. <laughs> uh, great. All right. So that's that's how uh, you got into wargaming. Yeah, you said two years on UB in Thailand and four years since moving to Australia. How did you find the transition from second to third personally in terms of the direction oh, the game went? Yeah, it's it's been a while. Um, I do remember... Some games on UB, thinking, "Oh my, my goodness, I can't, can't compete against some of these lists." And then coming into third edition, thinking, "Oh, actually, there's there's an- there's more answers across more armies, um, mm-hmm. or you, more um, the the availability of some units uh, of some armies to have." I don't know where I'm going with this. I I found that it was more more armies could compete against more armies. So previously, you might have a a goblin matchup. I, I Remember, one guy had a particular list and had a chat to him after a game and saying, "I have no idea how to beat this list." I think that was back when um, the what are they, the more pups or the uh, more beasts had all their attacks and they were cheap and they unlocked and and all this stuff. And he just brought a, hun- a whole bunch of them and and no matter what I brought against him, it was just no, nah, can't do anything. So um, mm. I don't don't have that feeling anymore. I feel like um, across the armies in third edition, the rules committee has done a really good job in in bringing things up um, to the, to the level or or pinging things down a bit so that they're not they're not overpowering. So I've I've appreciated the the changes as as Kings of War has has matured, I suppose. And and what armies do you play? I know I know originally when we first had you getting into gaming that you used to play uh, your Kingdoms of Men running Olaf before he joined the Northern Alliance. Oh, um, favorite favorite guy. What what are what are your armies that you generally play? Yep. So my first Kings of War army was the Kingdoms of Men, the samurai-inspired Kingdoms of Men with um, the Tengu allies or Eli High allies back when you could take them as allies. Then I had the Salamanders and Goblins and Ogres most recently. And have you had one? Yeah, you took Ogres to Masters, but have you had a, a, a favourite in there of, of how they play or you just, you've picked them all because you like their play style anyway, so they're all equal babies? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't played Kingdoms of Men for some time to be honest. Probably my favorite that I keep coming back to is the Salamanders. Uh I really enjoy 
and we'll get into this a bit later, I suppose, the, the fact that a lot of the units have multiple purposes. So they're not just doing one or sometimes even two things. Um, sometimes they're, they've really got that jack-of-all-trades approach, which I really value when I make the lists. And even more resilient now. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. Um, the Clash of Kings getting some life bleach options. I think, yes. um, yeah, in, interestingly, I think about the way that you and I both have played salamanders before with a mix of fire elementals and things. It's, I think the armies we were playing already just got better. 100%. 100%. I mean, I think that's true almost across the board except for the poor goblins, but they didn't need any help. Um, well, that's a controversial p- opinion possibly, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you, you look at some of the changes and you go, oh, I can think of ways to use that. Um, but nothing is auto-include or nothing that I've seen so far. No, I agree. Yeah. And so uh, when it comes to Masters specifically, um, I mean, Masters for us was uh, we had our first kind of team element, but it was 16 players, 2,300 points, five games. How how did you qualify for Masters? Uh, what What was your route to qualifying? Uh, so I I think it was mostly through the local tournaments in ACT. Um, I was checking out the, the rankings that we have on the website. I was doing pretty well in Clash of Kings back in January and then uh, bombed out on the second day. So I didn't do too mm-hmm. well in that. Uh, but then I, um, I got a few few firsts with the uh, local tournaments that we have here in Canberra that I think you've you've run quite a few of those, Matt. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty much it. I think there was three firsts and one second in the local ACT ones, and then I think I got twenty something in the in the Clash of Kings back in January. Yeah, which from memory I think brought you in at about twelfth overall in the rankings. Is that right? Going into Masters, something like that. Fourteenth. Uh, Fourteenth, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, which shows you how top because I mean most of the top players came. It shows you how close I guess. Well, how close I think Kings brings people together as as a nice balanced game, um, but but also how close and and how good the crop of players is. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and if you can qualify for Masters, which you know if you go to a few tournaments and you do you do okay, you're in it with a chance. Right, so we might uh, we might touch on masters first, and uh, we'll we'll go through your list for uh, that that you took, and we might we might return to it later when we get into the list builder studio. But before we do that, let's slide into a short break. At Countercharge, we want to deliver the episodes you want to listen to. So, do you have an idea for the show? Send us an email at countercharge15 at gmail.com. That's countercharge15 at gmail.com. Let us deliver what you want. Do you want to, for those that maybe didn't listen to the Aussie Masters episode, do you want to remind listeners what was in your list? Sure, I could run through it. Uh, so, uh, Ogre List, 2,300 points. I'll just read down read down the list as it appears um, in the on the, the list. Edit that bit out. 
so we've got a horde of hunters with the crocodile and the staying stone. Uh, since looking at the read, looking at the rules for the crocodile, I haven't taken them without the crocodile. It's essentially elite for one turn. Two regiments of warriors, one horde of siege breakers with fury or the chalice of wrath, uh, berserker braves with the strider item, uh, Sir Jesse's boots of striding, uh, a troop of boomer chariots for the stealthy aura. Uh, one great deal, big deal, I should say, the big deal, uh, two crocodile wranglers, two sergeants with crossbows mounted on a chariot each, one boomer sergeant, Nomogrok, and Kuslo and Madfall. What I, what I love about that list is the amount of stuff that's not necessarily in every ogre list you see. Uh, I can't, can't remember exactly. I, I've cut it off when I've posted in the show notes. Do you remember how, how what the unit strength on that list is? Uh, total unit strength, I think, was 21. With yeah, so not, not, not huge, you know, and 14 drops and not, not every drop scoring like, like a lot of Ogres lists. Yeah, so I love that we see, you know, the Hunters. I personally love the Hunters, you know, only one horde of Siege Breakers. We see Braves, which you don't see often. Boomer Chariots seem to be creeping into a, a, a few lists because in a lot of lists and in the States as well because of the amount of shooting. But then, you know, a couple of Wranglers, which, you know, early, early stages of third, people were decrying how broken they were, but then that seemed to stop and then no one was taking them in their lists. You know, mm. A couple of sergeants on chariots aren't aren't that typical. Boomer sergeants, not that typical. I mean, Nom Nom is, and, but then also Kuzlo and Madfall, certainly not. So I think there's plenty of elements that you just – Aren't, aren't necessarily in, in what are supposedly the most powerful lists, ogre lists across the world. Yeah, I mean, it's not really supposed to be the most powerful list. It is a list that I'm comfortable with. It suits the style that I play. Um, and I guess when I'm looking at the units, one of the considerations is I don't want to take things that other people are taking. But another, another thing is uh, I, I need units to fulfill a particular role. Or, or be able to fill multiple roles. And a lot of those things will do that. Crocodogs mm. are one of my favorites. for they, they cover a multitude of sins. If you, uh, if you yeah. position something poorly, well, just send a crocodile in to protect that flank. Um, hold something up for a turn. If, you, if uh, someone leaves an individual which, within which 16 Which they do inches, quite well compared to a lot of things, don't they, when they oh, – because absolutely. The, the, the range of control they exert. 100%. 16 inches no-go zone, even if you don't roll hot on wild charge, it really limits mm. what you're, what a canny opponent will um, will allow to be put in that range. Yeah. And when it, when it came to Masters specifically, was there a reason for Ogres? Like I know you're a big fan of taking Mantic armies for one and, and your Ogres are Mantic, but was there something specific about Ogres that you thought would be the most competitive at Masters or like what was the reasoning behind because we'll probably touch more on specifics later, but w- w- why choose ogres? It's a good question. I don't think they have they, they have a few weaknesses, but I think they are just they're, they're a solid army. So um, there's there's not too many lists that they'll that you'll front up to and go, oh, I have no chance. Um, they've got the crushing strength. They've got the maneuverability. They've got the um, the unit strength in with the heroes. So in, in that sense, they're, they're a solid army to, to take um, and face all comers with. Uh, and also I've been, I've been playing with them quite a bit this year. So reasonably familiar with, with what they do well and, and uh, some things where they need to shore up their weaknesses. Um, I've been doing that a bit this year. So 
partly familiarity and partly the fact that I can take take them uh, and not be too worried about what other people are bringing or at least not feel like I don't have a chance. Yes, although did it make you nervous when you uh, when you saw lots of dwarves given that, you know, I've beaten that list with dwarves, so. <laughs> yes, you have. Yes, you have. And that was one of the one of the games I didn't play scenario on and I, I still uh, I still look back on that game and think why well, I got too bloodthirsty and went after more dwarf regiments <laughs> instead of picking up tokens. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I remember that game clearly. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, the dwarves aren't a, aren't a bad matchup for this list. It's got the crushing strength. Um, there was a lot of defense mm. six dwarf um, stuff going on. It's also got the, the speed to be able to get flanks. Um, yeah. And and the, the big deal actually becomes a lot more relevant when you've got defense six infantry um, facing up. There's one one time I think um, the big deal went went straight through a, a regiment of Iron Guard in one turn. So wow, um, I, I rolled hot, but um, yeah, you know, not a lot of lists can say that they've done that with one unit. No, I mean certainly if I see Yogis as a matchup for for my dwarves, I generally, you know, it it does worry me, right? Because. Even if you're not taking super, I mean, dwarves don't. Ah, sorry, ogres. It's not like they've got the top end speed, but they're still faster than dwarves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and with, yeah, and that's with right. all the with all the nimble, you know, it does make it a reasonably difficult matchup. Well, pre-ordered March anyway. We'll see how that changes. Yeah, I I think that'll help the dwarves. But um, there was mm. a couple of games in particular where getting the first turn as ogres against dwarves makes a massive difference. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, great. Okay, so we might move into your games and, and when, um, I'll just say to everyone, it's not like we're going to do blow by blow, but um, we'll, we'll describe a little bit about uh, what was in the list each game and, and if there were any memorable moments. And, and game one, you came up against Damien Madigan uh, in Rays and uh, he, he had the list that, reasonably unusual list. I mean, for one, it was Brother Mark, so that was unusual to start with. Um, and then he had three hordes of penitents, uh, a horde of ogre palace guard, regiment of order, the abyssal hunt. With I've just made all this stuff too small, so let me zoom in. The brewer strength on that one. Yeah, with the brewer strength, two villain siege artillery, a heavy arbalist, an ancient phoenix, an exemplar chaplain with battle hymns and inspiring talisman, priest with heal and bane chant, and then he had the formation. Uh, what, what do you remember about this game? I'll, I'll, I'll signal straight up. It was a 17-4, so you, you definitely got the chocolates and one of your bigger wins for the weekend. So, Yeah, it didn't, didn't feel like a big win at the time. It was actually a really good, good arm wrestle, um, it felt like, for the, for the majority of the game. And uh, this is one of the games where, where one, one dice roll did, did make a bit of a difference towards the start. I do recall... Um, so when coming into this list, I broke it down into well, we've got the slow penitence, the three hordes there. Then there's quite a significant fast uh, contingent to the list. You've got three regiments of pretty decent knight units uh, and a dragon. And then you've got the siege artillery, which on their day, they'll, um, they'll mess something up, but they could also do nothing. That's right. So um, we had uh, three three tokens on each side and we were trying to trying to grab them uh damien mm. also almost got uh my right flank um token 
with a a almost a suicide charge with his ogre palace guard and a, a knight regiment. He just needed to break my uh, ogre braves. Uh, but unfortunately for him, he just wasn't able to quite kill them, uh, which meant that uh, in addition to me killing both those units, he didn't claim the token there. And I think that was a that was a big difference because that also meant my whole flank could swing in a turn earlier and grab the grab the center. So it, on odds, he probably would have would have uh, claimed that that objective, and it would have been a closer game. But uh, as it turned out, it was it swung much more in my favour. Yeah, and when you when you sat and looked at that list at the start, was there anything that particularly worried you? I mean, I'm imagining it's probably, if anything, the faster contingent in the formation. Yeah, yeah, um, and the I guess for me the the two big things are mm. how is the artillery going to go? Um, where do I need to put my stealthy bubble? And also, yeah. uh, what's the dragon doing? So. Mm. The the night regiments you can you can generally control them. So the ones without, I think there's two without any kind of pathfinder or striding. Um, so you know if I can work out how to get hunters in a forest, or um, or hunters behind a behind a fence guarding a space, then that that'll neutralise them. But the the dragons a lot harder to to tame, I suppose. So going into the game, I was hoping to be able to uh, delay the dragon by a few turns by being irrelevant. Um, and I think I was able to to accomplish that with some uh, sergeant chariot shenanigans. Yeah, when I immediately looked at this, it's a, you. I think you're, you're probably laughing with your list with that stealthy bubble, aren't you? When you see the only shooting being um, war machines, you know it's a yeah, it's a you can pretty much cover that fairly easily. Yeah, the the terrain on the map also made it tricky for for Damien. We had a big um, impassable point, and he had to he had to choose which side he was going to be focusing on. So um, once he put them down, I knew exactly where the stealthy was going. And so then we move into game two. So as I said, you got a 17-4 in that. Game two, you had to yeah, had to hit a previous master early in, in Tracy uh, with his very high unit strength Varangur list, which, you know, believe it or not, Tracy did not have the best weekend. I coming well down the ladder after one win, and three losses going into last round, I end up playing Tracy last round. <laughs> <laughs> Just what you want, uh, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so he had five regiments of Draugr, uh, three hordes of snow trolls, basically all with various um, wave of mitigation, so Staying Stone, Chalice of Wrath, Dwarven Ale, uh, two Mounted Sons of Corgan regiments, three Magus, uh, one with Knowledgeable and Celestial Restoration, uh, one with a mount and alchemist curse, and one with a mount and drain life, and he had a thane on frostfang with trickster's wand, and then he had three snow troll primes. Yeah, a list again, I guess that has um, outranges you a little bit, but you know, o- overall, I think probably, you know, if if you can hold it up, none of it does a super amount of damage in one go itself. Like it's going to really rely on combo charging, right? Yeah, absolutely, and that's very much Jeff's. I've got to say that it was loot with three tokens. Snow trolls, um, when combined with the snow troll primes, do do have a lot of survivability. Um, they're very hard to take down. So once they once they grab an objective, especially if they're screened by the dragger, um, they can be very hard to to claim back. Um, especially if you've only got six turns to, or mm. probably four turns by the time 
um, things have engaged to to actually kill them. So um, it did, did pose a bit of a threat. For this game, I was able to get first turn and essentially I just marched up three units and grabbed the tokens um, first turn. So I had the initiative. Um, so instead of me trying to trying to take it from Jeff, and I'm sure if he had the first turn, it would have been the opposite. Um, in grabbing first turn, I was able to force Jeff to, to try and kill my things instead of the other way around. Um, and I was able to hold on to two of those objectives through the game. I'm getting like an, an image of a whole bunch of 40 mil units lined up on the 12-inch line as if like waiting to start a sprinting race yeah. <laughs> on, on, on either right. side, you know. <laughs> he's uh, he's going to get there first. Yeah, yeah. And there, there was a bit of cat and mouse. I think this is um, one of the games that was streamed actually from the uh, from the, the other podcast. I don't know if you if you oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. allow that name to be mentioned. Yeah, we can mention them here, mate. You know? <laughs> anyway. uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I, I do recall that there was a there's a few swings and misses on the dice. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, ran, ran hot, ran cold at different points in the game. Um, but I think overall, getting that first turn really um, shifted the initiative over over my way. And then uh, Jeff was playing catch up from from then on in. I just was, um, and when we got to turn four, five, six, it was me just throwing units at him, just blocking him up for another turn. Because um, while there's a lot of a lot of survivability, as you as you mentioned before. Um, not many of those units will kill things in one charge. Yeah, and I imagine you know that's really where your wranglers probably came into the fore. I'm guessing. Um, yeah, probably yeah. Um, when when there's a lot of stuff that hits on fours too, being able to hold things up probably for multiple turns. Yes, the um, I do recall the big deal being being pretty relevant uh, in just being able to outrange the the snow, snow troll primes. Um, so obviously in an extended combat, big deal probably goes down, but, uh, at least being able to hold up for two or three turns, it was, it was quite, uh, quite key having that just extra inch of threat. Yeah, for sure. And so when you rush forward like that and pick up the tokens, do you, um, do you end up having to pass it around a little bit or did you, or does it end up basically just being, you know, you just managed to protect the stuff that already picked it up from the start? Uh, no, both both of the ones that I kept, uh, I, I passed them both around. So the middle one ended up with Nomagorok and the one on the left uh, started with the, what did it start with? Started with the Mammoth, I think, or it got passed to the Mammoth um, at one stage. Both the ones I kept were, had been, the tokens had been passed around a little bit. So, uh, yeah. and then the, the other one, the third one was really only a dummy run. I, uh, I wanted to seize it because uh, I've, that was going to, Get Jeff to at least spend a spend a turn killing the uh, ogre regiment, and then having to turn around and face face into a building. So, really forced his forced that flank of his to to be a bit or have limited usefulness for another turn by sacrificing or claiming that objective early. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And yeah, it was obviously a tight game because I think it was fourteen uh, seven by the end of that game, which was your which is of course a no swing in blackjack. Um, so yeah, that was your that was your smallest loss. Uh, sorry, smallest win. Smallest win. And, yep. Yep. Smallest win. Yeah. Game three that brought you up against one of the dwarf lists. I think Max was it. I didn't write the name down. Yeah, that was that was Max against Max. Yeah. And so this was. Let me just check my notes. 
Uh, yeah, playing Max in Invade. Not, not the best scenario for Dwarves, but, you know, you can do worse. Uh, three regiments of uh, Iron Guard with Mastiffs, two troops of Sharpshooters, two Flame Belchers, uh, Golok Fury, Garak Heavy Hand, Faber Ironheart, Dwarf Blonde Large Beast, and then the Formation, uh, all the units that can have throwing mastiffs, actually, except for the Ironclad Horde, which it has the Hammer of Measured Force. And, uh, yeah, and the Lord's the Lord's Bannerman, of course, uh, but he didn't have an item on that or anything. I, like, I, I don't know. I see this list probably as not a uh, – this is a pretty decent matchup for you, I think. Um, it's got enough shooting probably to worry you a little bit, um, particularly when the battle lines close. How did, how did you see this list when you were coming up a against it i actually said to max after the game this is one of my favorite dwarf lists that i've seen um mm. it's a list that i could imagine playing myself mm. um it's just got a bit of everything it's got enough of a of a threat um from range it's got enough staying power but it also has a little bit of movement in it as well um i, I probably wouldn't take the iron guard but it's um it's i, I appreciate the list it's a it's when you look at it, it looks balanced. You're not you're not thinking, oh, he's just spammed one thing, um, except for perhaps for the throwing mastiffs. But I think that's pretty pretty, pretty standard in the dwarf list. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. kind of need it. Yeah, the same. I think I I tend to write a list more in this way, although I tend for the cheaper defense five guys than the defense six, and mm. I hate taking the formation because everyone does. Um, but but other than that, yeah, you like you say, it's got a bit of everything. I love the flame belchers. I think they're a great little unit. And uh, yeah, and and I think yeah, when when I look at this on paper, it's a list that's that's capable of taking your list, indeed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So um, coming into the game, actually, uh, Max and I have played uh, a, a few times, well, a couple of times at least. The first time we played was actually a, a game of Invade at a local ACT tournament, and. Um, and the, the results mirrored themselves in that we're, we're playing Invade and I got the first turn and pretty much did what I did in both games is, is march up first turn and mm-hmm. uh, really made it, made it difficult for Max to get his units across the line because he had to essentially kill every unit in my army in order to do so. Yeah, and so how would your strategy change there, I guess, if you didn't get first turn, I mean, somewhat, I guess it probably relies on what what he does. Um, but you must have had in your head from the start when you saw dwarves that if I get first, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and rush across the board and, and use that tactics. Did you? What's your backup for if you don't get first? Well, when I'm deploying, I always plan as if I'm I've got second turn, um, and then if it's if it's better to take first turn and I win the win the roll, then I'll I'll take it. But I always go in assuming that I'm gonna go second. It's it's difficult to say woulda coulda shoulda, but I probably would have done much the same as I as I did here. Um, so so put the siege breakers up because I don't really care if he throws a few dogs at siege breakers. Um, get into flanking positions with with Kuzlo, um and the the sergeants on chariots. Um, it probably wouldn't have changed a, a whole lot to be honest. Um, he he just would have been four inches further up the board. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, not going to get much of a jump on you, is he? No, no, it's a, it's a bit bit tricky, and I think uh, especially with the with the way that the map was, he was stuck in a in a forest for a large part of his deployment. Was stuck in a forest through the three of his regiments 
of of Iron Guard or two regiments of Iron Guard and one of the um, bull workers were stuck in a forest almost the whole game. So um, he, he was he wasn't really able to march up a whole lot, even if he did get first turn. Mm, all right, and so and still though he obviously played pretty well because it was a again a, a small win of a of a fifteen six. Um, yeah, so, which mean must have mean that on balance the unit strength ended up fairly similar. Yeah, uh, it it did it did make a difference. So right from I think it must have been my my turn too. I had a big big charge siege breakers and crocodogs and uh, mammoths into um, uh, or sorry two of them into Garrick heavy hand uh, with an overrun into the shield breakers and we. We worked out there was, you know, a fraction of a millimetre stopping me from being able to overrun into into his horde behind, which would have been glorious for the ogres. But uh, as it was, uh, didn't happen. So uh, uh, I was a little bit nervous coming into turn three um, mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, mammoth and siege breakers out of place. But uh, I guess on the on the plus side, they were pretty much in his deployment from turn two, and I don't think he was able to kill everything in that turn. So. That allowed the rest of the army to to catch up. That's uh, three from three at the end of at the end of day one. I can't remember. I I don't think that necessarily had you in first because I think there are a few people on three and and your wins on the smaller end. Is is that right? Can you remember end of day one? Yeah, I was uh, second by one point, um, just behind Rex. I uh, I had the, the green shirt of destiny for uh, for a few uh, few minutes after Max passed it on to me, but then we figured that. Uh, Rex had actually had a bigger win over his opponent, so uh, he he got the the green shirt of the first place overnight. That's right. I I haven't mentioned that on the cast before. We decided to do a little Tour de France type scenario where we had a we had a leader's jersey, although we we did something that the tour doesn't do, and we also had a a jersey for the person who was currently in last, who uh, my good friend Tony Windmill wore uh, from game two to game five. And yeah. at the end of the tournament, <laughs> just just to remind them of their place because I'm sure they they'd forgotten. Exactly, exactly. Uh, he won't listen anyway, probably. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, so start of start of day two and um, into game four, you're of course will be matched up against the person coming for uh, first, which is Rex uh, with his with another dwarf list, which is. Uh, even heavier def- defense six than Max's. Uh, mm. When he had the four, one, two, three, four, four regiments of Iron Guard with Mastiffs, four troops of sharpshooters, uh, a horde of Earth Elementals, a Mastiff hunting pack, Golok, Garrick Heavy Hand, uh, a Steel Juggernaut, Faber Ironheart, and a Dwarf Lord on Large Beast. So heaps of def six and a, a little bit of reliable shooting, but spread out so and and because it often sits so far back it was probably wasn't ever going to get a lot of shots all on a single unit how'd you go with this yeah coming into this game um i was starting to think maybe rex has just done a filter for defense six units and just grabbed all of those um and added in some sharpshooters but it's a coming into it it, it's it's a really interesting list because you're not threatened by the speed a lot of it's quite slow um, yeah. Oh, sorry, and the, I should say it was pillage seven tokens. So, which because that'll make a difference. Yeah, and uh, mm. and Rex absolutely had that in mind when he was placing his his tokens. Mm. So, um, 
what I was going to say is is that although it's quite slow, it, it does have quite a um, significant uh, range threat with those four sharpshooters because just like a war machine, they can they can roll well and they can, um, but they're actually even more consistent than a war machine, um, mm. and they they do some damage, especially with the the mastiffs as well, uh, combining those shots in there. Uh, so oh, I'm trying to remember what what actually happened with this game. The, the there's a few standout standout moments that that happened here. I do recall. Um, Coming up onto a nice position on a hill with, you know, the, the stealthy bubble and and all of the the ogre hordes and Nomagrok around, uh, wasn't wasn't quite able to to do enough to to kill the mastiff hunting pack from range, so that got in got in the way, and uh, so Rex did a good job in delaying me for a turn. Um, but what really damaged was the um, all the all the mastiffs coming in with the with the sharpshooter attacks because putting ogres up on a hill all of a sudden those sharpshooters can can see you very clearly so even with stealthy um, he was able to take out my uh, horde of braves which I wasn't expecting um, oh wow from, from shooting yeah so defense eighteen with stealthy uh, sorry um, mm. nerve yeah, eight, da- dash yeah. eighteen with uh, with stealthy I thought that would be enough but uh, no he did very well I think throwing a couple of mastiffs and um, three of the four uh, troops of sharpshooters all going to town. So um, I didn't think they'd quite get there, but uh, they did and um, killed my poor uh, Berserker Horde. Uh, but after that, I was able to, I guess the flip side of that was, this is the game where my uh, the, where the big deal went re- uh, on a rampage, quite literally. Uh, rolled a six for the, for the extra attacks and, and um, destroyed a... Iron Guard regiment all on his own, and that really opened up a flank um, on my left. So my my sergeants on chariots were then able to start pressuring his sharpshooters. I should also mention Rex had um, quite cannily placed his uh, his loot or his um, counters uh, just inside deployments. So no matter which way, so he he had four deployments. So no matter which way he he. Um, deployed he was going to be able to claim two of them with sharpshooters so i was going to have to get across the board get across the board quickly um and be able to kill those sharpshooters which they're they're not too hard to kill uh but when they're when they're backed up by a lot of slow moving elements earth elementals uh and the uh what are they called the juggernauts um you you can't just run up and attack them because you'll you'll get punished so yeah uh this is a game where in turn six, it was going to be a minor victory for the ogres, uh, but we did get a turn seven, so I was able to claim another couple of tokens and, and kill a couple of other things. So yeah, which it, took it up to a seventeen four. Yeah, it was it was much more uh, a, a a much bigger victory than it would have been if if we didn't have a turn seven. Mm. And then coming into last round, uh, which was uh, control, uh, Selick had. Got a springboard off me uh, up onto the top table with yourself. Selick was running his elves, so he had a horde of palace guard with the chalice of wrath, two glade stalker regiments, Theronian sea guard horde with the hammer of hammer of measured force, uh, stormwind cav with the quicksilver lances upgrade and boots of striding, uh, dracon horde with the chant of hate, two dragons breath, an archmage with bane chant, lightning and alchemist curse. Uh, an elven prince with the axe of the giant slayer, slayer, Argus, 
and a dragon kindred lord with the mace of crushing. How'd you how'd you feel coming into game five again against elves? I mean, I, you've got your stealthy bubble, I guess. I'm I'm guessing you you went for a little bit of a clump, did you, to get maximum co- coverage from that for a while, or how'd you play this one? Yeah, I did. I did kind of clump, but not much. Not not as much as I could have. Uh, there's, I guess, there's two things. Um, there's the stealthy, but there's also siege breakers, which are, which can take quite a bit of plank damage from um, glade stalkers. Because having played uh, another local ACT player in uh, in Glen, who also loves his glade stalkers, um, the two things they don't like are stealthy, but also high defense units. So um, coming into this game, this wasn't a great uh, scenario for for Matt Selick. Um, he has a lot of, he only has seven scoring units so working out how to how to win control with only seven scoring units is is always going to be difficult um and it's also a more elite list with only 12 drops so i was coming into this game a little bit more confident um just on the on the list and and the scenario that we were playing um but there is still a lot of threat in the list so the you know if you if you're taking a, an elf dragon um that's going to do some damage um, everything in the list will do damage if you let it. So um, I was coming into the game optimistic, but but also wary of of what some of his units could do if given the chance. It was control. So you know, at the end of the game, I guess holding the most zones. Uh, was there was anything tricky? I mean, this this actually ended up one of your bigger wins at the end. It's eighteen three. Hmm. So um, was there anything in particular that swung the game or? Uh, we were talking partway through the game, actually, and uh, in in Matt's own words, he'd, he'd planned on getting first turn, uh, mm-hmm. and and when I won that roll off, um, being able to march up and and threaten things uh, made a made a big difference. So one example is where he had his nimble Stormwind cavalry uh, just just behind a hill on his left flank, and so I was able just to march up Kuzlo just on the other side of that hill. So that the the cavalry was essentially stuck for that turn, um, mm-hmm. which which held up that whole that whole area. Uh, so yeah, getting get and again, um, getting first turn was was a big uh, was a big swing there. Um, also, uh, one of one of the flanks he had two his two glade stalker regiments his. Uh, his dragon kindred lord and Dra- dracon riders um, all all on the other flank um, so being able to uh, move up the the mammoth and and siege breakers to so that they couldn't really touch the forest that they were hiding behind um, meant that they were delayed significantly enough that I could um, bully his central hordes a little bit by hiding behind a hill and obviously have the 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 range and a bit of plink shooting um, and even though a, a horde of Tyrrhenian Sea Guard will will do some damage, they can only do damage one thing at a time. So shooting at stealthy crocodiles is is not going to be the best thing for them. Um, so I was able to uh, get get into them a bit by uh, by delaying both the flanks. Uh, as I said, eighteen three by the end of that. So you know there were no nineteen twenty twenty ones, but uh, if you win five from five, you're going to be in with a shout, right? And um, yeah. Yep, and and in the end, that had you finishing on seventy nine points with five wins and pretty deep good attrition too. You know, I think about mm, third off fourth. I think on 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 attrition. 
but that had you 12 points clear of second. So, uh, yeah, you know, a, a decent win in the end uh, with, a, with a decent clearance. Yeah, and that, that, that had you as, a, as the Australian master. So second time master's player, first time master. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was as shocked as anyone coming into to the last round thinking, oh, hang on, I've, I, might, I might have half a chance here. Um, mm. So, yeah, no, it's a, it was um, a, a, a very nice surprise. Wow, not, not by the end of the me, not, not by like, the oh, end of the I, last I, game. You were always saying you were going to dominate these chumps. That was your that was your <laughs> motto going yeah, in. We, we, that was a private conversation, Matt. Yeah. Oh, sorry, mate. Sorry. <laughs> Team ACT. Team ACT. You certainly you certainly uh, helped drag the ACT up. That's for sure. With Tony and myself coming in thirteenth and sixteenth. <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was having a chat with Tony. Actually, he he was my practice partner. I was I was wondering why I was practicing with uh, number 16 but no he's he, he tony has really good games but then he'll have a have a game where he uh, forgets how to play for you know a couple of minutes and that'll that'll shift shift the yeah. game significantly give me game over by then so congratulations again and and now with that that beautiful mind that's capable of of winning masters where i think we'll we'll get into the list building studio Studio. First of all, we're going to start with some general list building uh, principles. I mean, my experience against you has been that you, um, not that I would say that like all your armies feel the same, but you, you do certainly create that, you know, that mix of roles really well, that you create this balance of, of competition. So, um, yeah, what, what draws you to an army? Uh, like, what about models? Do you do you take do you take models into account at all? Uh, I do. So more recently, I've been prioritising trying to uh, get the Mantic armies, just because mm -hmm. I want to support the want to support the company. Uh, I generally I don't want to get a, an army that I don't like aesthetically. Um, mm -hmm. But if they're if they're half decent, I'm I'm happy to to paint them up and play them. It's it's more about the play experience for me. Um, for the most part, um, and as long as they're not too difficult to put together or too finicky, or don't need too many, too many tools to try and figure out how to put two hand weapon um, options on a unit, then I'm I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what about something like uh, how the army plays, and 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 if it is that, what is it about an army that draws you to it in terms of how it plays? Yeah, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier. When, when I start on a new list, it tends to be because I really like one one unit in particular and I want to build a list that, that supports that unit that I haven't seen much. Um, mm -hmm. So that could be Kuslan Madfall, that could be um, the Crocodile Wranglers, or um, for the Salamanders, it was our tackle. So mm -hmm. really, really liking how a unit looks um, and, and building in an, a list that can support that. So I guess it's more... Um, I really want to play with this unit. What can I? How can I make a competitive list that that actually supports that um, and and grows around that that fun unit that I really want to play with? Mm. And so for for general gaming or even tournaments, but maybe not so much masters. You know, is did did the perceived weaknesses or advantages of the army come into it for you? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to play something in masters that I felt 
like I wouldn't have a chance against a particular matchup. So if um, I, like with the Ogres, I know I've got a chance if it's shooting heavy or if it's um, defense six or if it's alpha strike, um, even though it might struggle a little bit more against um, some of those one dimensional, you know, focus on one thing lists, it at least has a chance. Um, I'm not just throwing my hands up and going, oh, I can't compete against that. Um, so I wouldn't want to play a list in, especially in a tournament where I'm playing it multiple over multiple games, where uh, there was a risk that I wouldn't at least be competitive. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, and then, yeah. What about what about the rarity of the army? Are you someone that like kind of? likes to be a bit anti-meta, I guess, in terms of not playing something that other people are playing or or you like to get behind it. How does that come into it? Yeah, I don't like to see um, – if, if I think of a, of a list, I wouldn't want to see it um, come across the table from me. I'd probably lose interest in my list if, if everyone started taking the, the exact same, same thing. So I, I guess I'm not too worried – like having played ogres most recently, if I see a lot of ogres on the table, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to see a lot of ogres that look exactly like my list. Um, I'd probably lose interest um, pretty quickly. So I, I like it to be unique, um, and I guess that's that's also a strength because uh, by taking by taking lists that are different, um, mm-hmm. it, it does mean that your opponent's a little bit off balance because they haven't quite seen that combination before or um, that mix of units before. So um, I, I like it from a personal preference, but also I suppose from a competitive sense, it also means that um, people that I'm playing haven't haven't seen the combination of units before. Mm, yeah, I think it's um, and and that is you know it is something, isn't it? That that if if particularly in competitive environment, if if someone's coming up against you and they're like, oh okay, you know, this this doesn't quite make sense to me. It can give you that little bit of an advantage straight up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think another thing is uh, having having different different units that have different speeds. Um, instead of all just the one speed, you, mm-hmm. you're looking at keeping your opponent guessing or, or working out, okay, that's got speed eight, that's got speed seven, speed six, oh, but that has wild charge. Um, so it's, it's being able to have that threat saturation without paying a premium for everything being speed 10. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then you, you mentioned that you've been trying to focus a little bit more on Mantic. Um, so now you've got your, your ogres and your, your salamanders. Is there something coming after that or, or are you just going to be expanding on those for a while? I well, I have a lot of work to do with the salamanders still. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've assembled a lot of them, but the painting is is what I find takes the most time. I had been looking at the the tomb kings um, mm-hmm. as something for a different different play experience, um, and the the mantic uh, offering the the models for those. Uh, it's it's mostly there. Not all of the units are in the list though, so um, that does make me pause a little bit and think, oh, do I really want to do it if I have to um, sub in units and, and not have a fully Mantic army? But mm-hmm. yeah, otherwise um, got a, a Ratkin mega army as the as the, the prize. Um, so I've, I've had a look at the Ratkin list and, and started kit bashing a few ideas around, but haven't, haven't uh, really have created anything. Did, did, did the rats appeal to you at all? 
Oh, they're an interesting one. There's like I was talking before about um, the synergies um, and enjoying how the the units can interact together, and and Ratkin have a lot of that. Um, I haven't really fell in love with any particular unit to to base a list around yet, so uh, we'll we'll see. Do you consider theme like fluff or plate? At well, not so much play style, but I guess more the theme or the background of the army at all. I think I, I used to a lot more than I do now. So with my first army back um, five, six years ago with the Kingdoms of Men, I really had quite a strong theme going with the, the samurai list. I didn't want to have any um, any fantasy elements, um, so no no flying peg wizards or anything like that. Um, and that was and that was good, except for the um, the allied uh, Elahai that I that I took with them. Um, but there was a re- that was a mythological addition. Um, and so I, I had a whole story. Yeah, that's right. Um, but that, that's about the only only time I've I've taken allies. Um, but yeah, the 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 story behind behind an army. Um, I started um, by by having that really strong story, uh, but now it's it's more about the the play experience, making sure that over over multiple games, it's it's varied enough. It it has a yeah, it's it's more about the game now than the than the the background behind the list. But I, I do appreciate those that that come in with that background and enjoy um, hearing the stories of you know how how the generals assembled his force or um, you know the survivors of some calamity coming together. So I, I enjoy it when other people do it, but I haven't really done that with yeah. any of my li- my recent. How the little people put their list together, as you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, um, and, and uh, I mean that already speaks a little bit to inspiration for projects. But and and you kind of mentioned that that um, like with your ogres, it was it was you know something at the center of that was something like the the wranglers. Even if you don't consider the fluff or the theme, does that come into how you what what inspires you to play it at all? It does. As, as in it, so yeah, I'll just clarify that. So. Yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily affect how you build the list at all, but it might inspire you to kind of be like, "Oh, maybe I want to have a look at that." Yeah, yeah. Um, I can say for the salamanders, um, one thing that really intrigued me was the concept of them living on these in these volcanic places and needing the fire and, and the backstory for them. And so, in my mind's eye, I imagine these these fire breathing or fire reliant creatures um Mm -hmm. and so i think one of the reasons why i finished all the basing and and been struggling with the units is um enjoyed putting the lava basing together for them and and really going to town on on um what does it mean for a a a society or a civilization that's so reliant on fire um to be Mm -hmm. to be walking out and you know fighting fighting against these other armies what what would that look like so I, I enjoyed doing the basing for that and that was a good um inspiration for for finishing that up but uh now i've just got to finish the rest of the list and uh, that's a slow and painful process <laughs> well not 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 a painful process it's it's enjoyable but you've got to find the time i suppose if i was to say what i it sounds like already it, it's that you're you basically want the list to do a bit of everything. Is, is is that kind of your foundational concept in terms of building the list itself? Yeah, I want it to be. A, I want to be able to have a chance and not not make my opponent feel like they don't have a chance. If it's you know that rock scissors paper kind of thing, where if I've got rock, I don't want 
my uh, my opponent who's playing scissors to to just look like they're not even going to have a game at the start. Um, so it works both ways. Uh, also, I think my style is quite reactive. So um, unlike people that have more of a proactive game plan coming in, I'll tend to see well what's my opponent doing, um, what mm-hmm. what questions are they asking, and um, and what answers do I have in the list. Um, to be able to to counter whatever they're trying to do, so um, I guess a mix of of things that that can be reactive. So some things that have speed, some things that can um, can block, um, some things that can threaten. So sh- just a good mix of of different things in the list um, to be able to play different roles in different different times. And that's one of the reasons why I really like the Crocodogs because they they do so much of that. Yeah, they, they they almost encompass that just in in that one unit, don't they? Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Mm. What about when it comes to chaff? We hear about chaff a lot, whether it's you know regular chaff, thick chaff. You know, do do you think about that much in your list building? Yeah, I don't have. Uh, I've never played a, a list with with you know the the best chaff like gargoyles or those harpies or flying units that you can. I guess the the A plus chaff units, uh, mm. but any list, any unit that I take, it it might be uh, there partly to to get in the way, but I wouldn't take it just to get in the way. So it would it should be doing something else as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy, and I also like to combine uh, some units together. So the uh, so for the salamanders, for instance, putting the the ember sprites. Um, behind the tyrants in deployment so the, the ember sprites can scout up in front of them. I wouldn't do that every game necessarily. It depends on what the opponent's doing with their deployment. But from a list building perspective, if I'm taking tyrants, I'm probably taking ember sprites as well. Yeah, so it really goes on construction rather than about a set number. So it kind of really depends on what's the other stuff you want to take in your list rather than you know what's going to necessarily be my specific chaff. Yeah, yeah. Chaff for yeah. the sake of chaff isn't going to be helpful in the long run it needs to have a needs to have a purpose coming in so if if there's a a unit that really needs that support that you still want to take because it does other things well then it might be worth having having a dedicated piece that can that can support it to do that but you don't want to spend you know 600 points to do something um, where you might get more efficient points use out of somewhere else Mm. And what what about dealing with chaff? So anti chaff units, do you take that into account? Hundred percent, yeah. Uh, so most of the time, that's through some kind of light shooting. So it could be mm-hmm. just a bit of lightning bolt. It could be uh, like putting the crossbows on the sergeants on chariots. Um, mm-hmm. It could be um, any number of things. Even crocodiles are great anti chaff. Um, so when when needed, they can just go up the front of the army. So instead of behind the legs, or sorry, be behind the um, behind the ogres, they can they can go up yeah, in yeah. front and <laughs> yeah. say, "All right, well, um, if you're going to put your, your chaff somewhere, um, they, these guys will will counter that within the 16 inch bubble." Mm-hmm. Yep. And what about number of drops in the list? So do you do you have a a number in mind generally when you're list building or is it is it a matter of it ends up where it ends up uh, what, what are you thinking there yeah it's more it, it's more it ends up where it ends up um, so as as more of a reactive style um, player um, I like to have more 
more drops so that I can see more what my opponent's doing before I fully commit to a thing. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't sacrifice the elements of a list just to get more drops in. I have seriously considered taking the um, what is it the scrying gem to mm. to um, be able to see a little bit more about what my opponent's plans are. But I've never never put it into a, a tournament list at this stage. Although I might one day. Yeah, I toss up with that too. Right, I think it's the twenty five points that 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 holds me back. It's just that little bit feels that little bit too expensive. But with certainly in, in the where we play, there is a tendency towards high drop. So I always think, you know what, that could be useful. <laughs> mm. yeah. uh, particularly when when um, playing someone like uh, uh, Tracy, where he's 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 got all of these things that could be threats, um, mm. but also they could be they could be just a false a false deployment or a false flank. Um, you really don't know what he's going to do, and by the time you finish dropping your whole army, he's still got his real threats to come. So, um, yeah, so more drops is always is always better, but not necessarily at the expense of um, your, the synergies in your list or yeah. the, the synergies in my list, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and it sounds like, though, that probably with your lists that given your play style, they're probably all going to end up around about a similar number of drops anyway because you're never really going to be, I mean, you're not going to really probably ever play a really elite army, are you, with your play style? No, no. That's I think with an, a, a, an elite army really needs that proactive approach um, that I know what my, my game plan coming is and I'm going to execute it. Um, mm. doesn't, doesn't really work with the way that I prefer to play, play the game. Mm. And so we hear some players talk about battle groups in their list and, and you, I guess you've alluded to you might take some units if you're taking others like the Ember Sprites with with things, right? But hmm. uh, do, do you subscribe to the idea of battle groups or do you like to be flexible or you generally within your list you've, you've got this, this goes with that? Yeah, I, I'd say loosely. Uh, hmm. Loosely I, I have battle groups in my mind, but those those aren't set things. I'm not. I'm not just... I'm looking at what my opponent's doing all through deployment. Um, so if they, um, if I, um, I'm going to start that thought again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I loosely have um, have units that will want to go together. So that could be um, Kuslo and a and an ogre sergeant going tearing down a flank together. Um, it could be an ogre regiment shielding. Um, siege breakers or hunters um, or it could be the ember sprites and the, and the tyrants beyond that in terms of larger battle groups than than a couple of units um, probably the only time I, I really do that is when i'm facing a, a a list with a lot of shooting and, and need to gather around a stealthy bubble or um, or need to get the most lightning bolt i can in the first turn with nomagrok um, so and that's more of a synergy thing rather than a set battle group firing obviously really important uh and you never really see i I don't think i've ever played a game where someone's risked taking none Mm. (laughs) when when it comes to building lists of of varying points levels i guess do you do you have a rough idea of of how much you want in a list yeah i'll i'll typically start with three sources and then see how it goes from there um, so not all inspiring is the same. Some some units are, are better at supporting 
an army than, or a list than than other units. So uh, an inspiring dragon isn't going to be helpful turn three or turn four when it's off flying around killing things, mm. um, as opposed to you know, a standard bearer or a magic caster that can just ping off um, lightning bolts from a, from a distance. So I guess I'd start with three um, for 2,000, 2,300 points um, and, and, and go from there. Um, so taking two feels like a bit of a risk, but it really depends on on how how mobile the list is and and how many um, uh, how many moving parts you have in it. So for dwarves, a bit slower. Maybe you could get away with a couple of very inspiring uh, your, your standard bearers, uh, but otherwise, I think three is a a good balance. Yeah, and it's a good point, isn't it? Like, what what other role is that inspiring unit? What 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 function is it fulfilling? It's the same mm. as I I think of the Aloe in the uh, base aliens list. I I often list hammer for those and think, oh, you know, could I get away with just taking Aloe as my inspiring? But <laughs> um, you know, when when it comes to to the practice of that, you're really limiting the way you're going to play the game by doing that, aren't you? Because that's right. You 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 just don't necessarily want them hanging back inspiring new units yeah they need to be off doing what they're doing not um babysitting yeah. something without inspiring so mm-hmm. yeah it it really does depend on on what units have inspiring and some lists like the ogres they give out inspiring for free so i would take yeah. the sergeants with chariots possibly without inspiring um uh, because they the role that i have them in the in the list for doesn't doesn't rely on them self-inspiring or much less inspiring others so mm. um for an ogre for ogres and some other um some other armies it's really not that much of a consideration just because it's so easy to get it in there yeah yeah and when you're looking at the list for magical artifacts uh, is it something that you do straight up when you're looking at a unit? Is it something that you leave till the end of the list? Uh, sorry, is it something that you leave to the end of your list building uh, if you've just got a few extra points? It, it, what, what's your general approach there? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I tend to always take a few magical items, but I don't go overboard. Um, typically, if I'm taking a magical artifact, it will be because it adds something to the unit, adds another role to the unit. So things like um, the uh, Jesse's Boots of Striding or um, uh, Waiver Mitigation would probably be the main reasons why I would take a, a magical artifact. I don't typically go for um, the things that make a unit that's that, that can do something okay all right, um, into something that can do it better. So things like Elite or Vicious or um, Thunderous Charge or Strength or things, I don't typically go for those, plus partly because they're so expensive. Plus one yeah. to hit, yeah, just because mm-hmm. they're a bit expensive. Um, it's I, – I don't – maybe if I took an Elite Army, which I don't really plan to, to do, I might consider those. But I wouldn't wouldn't do it with, the, with my current – uh, way of constructing lists so it has to add something new to the to the unit yeah i think most of the time other than the items like strider there's not many items that do allow a unit to fulfill a completely different role are, are there it's um you know maybe an argument might be something like 
on a specific character uh the the scouting item or something but but most of the time it's it's actually more about making what they already do better yeah um i was trying to think what's that um what's that item that you can you can put on a troop that makes them nimble oh the nimble Uh, item i do like that that's Mm. or what is it 15 points or something putting that on um a unit of ancients or uh, a troop of of Uh cavalry really does change the um what they can do um Mm. so that's that's another one that that adds to the to I guess the roles that you can put it put them to. Um mm-hmm. and and in that I, I'd also put the the waiver mitigation items. So the um what is it, the staying stone, the chalice of wrath, the uh, dwarven ale. Um by by taking away their ability to waver, you've actually turned them well, conditionally taking a or, or reducing the possibility that they'll waver. Uh You've you've actually made them much more much more reliable. So um, be, being by themselves, not having another unit backing them up, is much more. Uh, you, you can do it with a, a little bit more confidence. Yeah, and so for particularly for newer players, then on an item like that, what's how do you pick your target for an item like that? So for your chalice of wrath, your dwarven ale, your staying stone. What's in like in your mind? What what are the best units to target that benefit most from that? I would put the chalice of wrath on a unit that I'm not too scared of it being shot. So the siege breakers um, are mm-hmm. a great uh, a, a great unit to put the the chalice of wrath on, just because um, if someone's shooting them, they're probably up against defense six, possibly defense five. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to be around Nomagrox, so they're inspired. Um, I'm not as worried about them getting shot, um, but I am worried about them wavering from from a charge, um, from from combat. So that's I'd much prefer Fury on the Siege Breakers than something like Headstrong, where I could roll a one or a two and and not have them be useful. Um, for for something like that that might get shot, um, so like the Hunters, I'm, I don't really feel like um, fury is as good an item on them just because a, a good opponent's gonna gonna see that and go oh I can waver them by focusing all my shooting on there even if yeah. they're in a forest yeah um, they'll still they're still the and with with ogre ball. ogre yeah and and with their um their nerve um, a spike on on an ogre horde will will hurt a lot so uh, yeah I guess what what's what's the unit vulnerable to and um, how how are you going to counteract that? Mm. And would you also be looking at like your your more important units to your game plan? So, for example, mm. so I think the the units you most commonly see it on probably are the more large infantry style hordes, which obviously everything in ogres. But you know, you see it commonly on ogre palace guard. You see, Tracy had it on his snow trolls. So the things that are, are going to be your damage output, do, do you look at it in that way at all? Or it's mostly about what are you most worried about for that specific unit? Mostly mostly for what for what's going to be what, what's going to help the unit um, have mm-hmm. its role in, in the list. So um, if I think back to uh, the the salamander list that I made, um, making the the rhinos have have that strider item, um, really opens up their options um, and allows them to project a threat wherever they can see, um, as opposed to having that weakness. Because if you take out the ability for the rhinos to do damage, there's 
well, at least the way that I've I've got my list, there's not a lot else that can really uh, hurt um, or, or provide that that uh, that dangerous threat. You know, even going over obstacles or through forests. I don't know if that yeah. really answered your question, there, Matt. Well, no, it does because I think it speaks to your list building style in particular, right? I think what you uh, see in your list is that every unit is there because it has a role. So it's not so much that you're like, yes, I guess you have anvils and hammers, but you're not traditionally building your list around a set number of anvils and hammers. So it's more about the specific unit in your game plan and what it needs to be better at, not so much, oh, I need to deliver my hammer into combat. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I might and I'll still have, you know, that that unit that might be at a one shot thing on a good day, um, or one shot any other unit, um, if all goes well. But uh yeah, that has to be in the context yeah. of what, what support it has around it and uh you know, is there another enough other things that are allowing that that big heavy hitter to to do its thing. Yeah. And so uh we we alluded to before I think drops, but what about unit strength and, and the number of scoring units how does that come into your list building yeah so the number of um scoring units is absolutely vital like if if i'm taking all um or too many too many uh in, individuals i'll i'll cull that number down i've never really felt the need to to prioritize high unit strength units though so where you've got four unit strength sitting on one unit i've never and and this is possibly something that matters more for others or some others might have different experience but i've i've never really felt that uh, it has makes a huge difference um having that big unit strength four horde because if 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 i'm if i'm an opponent i i should know how to kill that unit strength four uh, whether it's got unit strength one or unit strength four at the end of the day, if it's dead, it's it's not ca- counting for anything. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you've got that, if you've got a higher number of scoring units, you're probably a better, a better chance of controlling, you know, controlling the board anyway. Um, yeah. You also have that that flexibility as well. So if you say, "Oh, look, there's no chance I'm, I'm getting the middle," but you know what, I have five unit strength one things floating around or, or the lower unit strength, I can put them off, you know, or partway through a flank in the centre so I can choose where they where they go. I'm not I'm not all in on one or two units. Yeah. Do you have a minimum number of scoring units or or it's more just about the feel of it within a specific list? Yeah, it's pro- to be honest, it's more the feel of it and I probably need yeah. to play the army a few times before I get a, a handle on um, if I need more or less. So it's really putting putting a couple of games, getting a couple of games in, and seeing, oh, I you know I, I lost this game because I didn't have enough scoring units at the end. Probably need to yeah. put some more in. Which is typically like the big strength of ogres, right? But then you you've got two crocodile wranglers, which don't. <laughs> but they they kill all the unit strength, so um, it doesn't true. really matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't matter how much unit strength you've got if all your opponent's unit strength is dead. That's right. That's right. It's uh, it's the same same theory. Every game is kill. Yeah, Every game exactly. is dominate. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that that would mean because I was thinking in magic items, I was going to ask you about because the other one that's cheap that I've 
personally get attracted to sometimes is that orb of towering presence for the plus one unit strength. But I'd imagine based on what you'd say there, that's not really a very attractive item to you usually. Yeah, I, maybe this is me being a little bit behind the times, but I haven't seen the the massive attraction to it. Um, I can see the use for it, um, mm. especially if it's uh, something like a, a raise, um, one where you've, you've got to control uh, – to, to collect your um, your loot counter from the opponent's side of the board and you, and you might be a throwaway unit that you just need that that extra pip of unit strength to, to claim it I, c- I can see the the attraction I just can't see myself putting points towards that yeah no I think I've most typically seen it or in my own list building used it for if it's on something with higher def that maybe someone doesn't expect to die anyway give it an extra unit strength and that's even potentially more useful than what it already was so it's almost powering up what it does well anyway so that would fit into your style i guess or um i've used it on something like a sharpshooter troop right because then all of a sudden two unit strength at the back of the board is pretty annoying to people yeah yeah absolutely it's um i I can see the attraction um i haven't created a list where i felt that it's needed though maybe maybe when i finish um the the salamanders finally i'll i'll uh, i'll see the light but uh that spark hasn't happened yet not yet yeah well i think you know as the new australian master everyone looks towards you as the light mate (laughs) (laughs) oh dear everyone else is just in a web of darkness (laughs) yep yep well i don't know how much i'm gonna i'm gonna be uh helping there but we'll um you know we we move on (laughs) What about scenarios? I'm 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 having a feeling that like how well the list does pretty much every scenario is a big factor, particularly if you're looking towards a a competitive list, a really yeah. competitive list, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no point taking a taking a list to masters if you're going to be struggling with one or two lists um, or one or two scenarios. So mm. if you can't if you can't compete in one, then you're probably not going to not going to win the thing or possibly do even well because we've already got the the matchup considerations you know the rock paper scissors if you're also playing rock paper scissors with scenarios um, you're going to get pretty lucky to to do well at the end of the day so you really want to be competitive across all the scenarios um, so yeah there's I, I do like how the scenarios break up the game so mm. it's not just it's not all just token based it's not all just claiming quarters uh, but there's a, a real mix of uh, different different play styles that can, or different strategies that can come out uh, for those scenarios. So I appreciate that. Um, but also, I, so over the over the weekend where we played Masters, I did feel there was a couple of a uh, couple of games that I had a massive advantage by uh, by winning that roll off for, for first turn. Yeah, but does that does that come from? The ogre list, you think, or the way you build your any list? Well, it's it's two things. It's it's the ogre list, but it's also the opponent's list and how well they mm. can they can counter any aggressive movement. So I think there was a lot of lists that that didn't really have that that counter inbuilt into the list, um, and some some did. Um, so uh, da- Damien's list, if I if I'd gone up turn one, I would have gotten trounced by by uh, a bunch of knight regiments, but. Um, Often the dwarf lists, apart from throwing a few mastiffs at you or or shooting you with sharpshooters, there's not a lot they can do if if a 
if an opponent um, comes up at them turn one. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's that's exact. Well, one of the reasons exactly why, whether it was US Masters or ours, even though there was a lot that I didn't, you know, they they weren't pegged as my number ones for winning, no matter how good the player is, right? Because I think mm. there there is a little bit of a handicap there. Sure, things can go your way, but um, winning big being one problem of theirs. Um, although, again, small small number Masters in five games. If you win all your games, it doesn't matter. Probably if you win big. Um, but but yeah, having that that natural handicap in some of those movement movement based scenarios is I, I think can make it harder. Absolutely. Absolutely. So mm. I, I don't know I'm not too familiar with the dwarf list. I think the uh, the Brock Riders have have left for the free dwarves, is that right? Matt or uh, they, they haven't left. Around? They're still there. They 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 haven't been seen as frequently unless someone spams them since they got what I what I've always viewed as quite a big nerf. Like they got a, it came down from something like dash twenty two to dash eighteen, and and they got cheaper, mm. but it all of a sudden took them from a a unit that rarely got mowed down in one turn to a unit that could very well be mowed down by almost anything in one turn. So like I always felt it was slightly too big a nerf, but. Um, but the the free dwarf ones now, I would say, are probably slightly better because they got Pathfinder natively. Yeah. I was I was thinking of um, p- possibly putting that uh, the nimble item on a troop of of the Brock Riders mm. could be an interesting inclusion with the because um, they're not wavering. Um, yeah, and and actually get something else that the, something that the rest of the list doesn't doesn't do very well in mm. in move and and uh, and threaten flanks and and just ask questions. Yeah, exactly, and I think yeah, uh, certainly with the Brock Riders, the troop is probably where the where the smart money's more at in terms of if you if you're taking just a a sprinkle of Brocks in your list, they're they're really good at that hmm. board control and adding that kind of item would be better for sure. Um, what about speed and flyers? So obviously, in your ogres list, you're going to be outsped by a lot of stuff so i'm assuming you have some sort of thought in your mind about how to counter flyers in the ogres list and in any um and what about speed how do you how do you approach that not just in your ogres list but in in general yeah good question uh so having a mix of i think i mentioned before having a mix of different different speeds in the list um is something that i i value um so you're not paying a premium for everything having that amazing speed 10 um but you've still got the the coverage um so things that that move eight things that move seven move six or with a bit of wild charge sprinkled in there as well um it just it just means that you can, your opponent can't just just move up and 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 be impervious to whatever your list can do the the ogre's not really having any any flyers um I don't think, especially with the crocodogs now in the list, I don't think they're too, well, they're as worried about it as they used to be. Um, the The main tactic that I use, at least with the with the ogres, but I have also done with the salamanders, is if I can delay them a few turns, make them less relevant um, for the first few turns of the game, they typically don't get their points back, um, especially mm-hmm. for things like dragons or the big flying hordes. Um, if 
if they're not, if they're um, if you're jostling for position, so even a, um, a an ogre on a chariot or um, or something that can just be a little bit slower, it can just keep backing up four inches each turn um, with a bit of a pivot in there, uh, with the nimble pivot backwards. It it means that if if your opponent's playing cagey, you know, just staying out of your range but being out of charge, if you can slow, if you can get them crawling up four inches each turn. Um, then I find it's it buys the rest of my list a lot more time to to do what it needs mm. to do. Um, yeah, so it's so, so it's less so about a direct counter, but just corralling their influence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I can I can push the majority of my list against what's left of theirs without all the hammers, mm. um, whilst keeping whilst keeping their big threats honest. When you're building the list, do you consider deployment or pre-deployment schemes, or is it more about the, the scenarios and how they're going to play the game and then you figure out how you're going to deploy them? About as far as I think is the first couple of drops. So what what am I willing to throw away to not give my opponent too much information um, as well as which flank am I am I wanting to uh, push on? So if I've got Kusla and Madfall who, who has Pathfinder and is reasonably fast, um, what flank am I leaving a alone for him to do his thing. Um, so again, he, he loves to play that, that, that chicken game with, with dragons. So mm-hmm. just staying, just so if they just stay out of his reach, he'll, he'll back up four inches and, and pivot away. Um, otherwise he'll be able to charge or, or be able to nimble march um, past them if they're not, if they're, if they come up too much. So, Beyond picking a flank to push in and um, the first couple of drops of things that I don't really mind my opponent knowing, I don't plan too much in advance. I, I really want to see what my opponent's placing before I commit too heavily on one in one area. Mm. What about terrain mitigation, particularly with the Pathfinder item basically gone, combined, I guess? Um do you give much thought to that in what you're picking? Like I know you you mentioned it as one of your top items because it assists with that. But do mm. you, when you're list building, do you think that you have to have something with terrain mitigation in there? Absolutely. Oh, actually, I'll, I'll put a I'll put a little asterisk on that. I, I'd say the vast majority of the time you want something that can um, marching through terrain is is massive. So the Pathfinder, mm. um, especially if you don't have to rely on the unit for that. On the on the magical artifact for that, uh, so typically I'd like to put in two sources of things that either have Pathfinder or Strider. One, it helps with the 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 movement, um, so you can you can march through a forest turn one. Uh, you can you you can do all the mo- like Kings of, Kings of War is essentially a movement based mm-hmm. game. The the game's won and lost in the movement. So being able to march through things that others can't is is a big advantage um, and strider obviously for for things with thunderous charge or for those uh, units you really need to be doing their optimum damage um, is is massive uh, the reason I put an asterisk on my answer is is some trash trash armies like uh, like goblins or maybe ratkin uh, might mm. not need it so much so uh, if they've got or or perhaps with flyers less reliant so you can still you can still march march up without too much too much of a worry um, yeah so i'd say vast majority of the time um i would want 
to have at least a couple of units with Pathfinder and or Strider, um, but there might be reasons to not not need it in a list. Yeah, yeah. If you're hitting on five and sixes, you're hitting on five or sixes. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, you're yeah. not bringing that unit for the damage it does. I think you you've already mentioned that you basically uh, always plan to go second, so it's not like the dice roll really goes into your list building so much more more how you deploy. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love winning the the turn to go first um, yeah. or second, where, wherever, it, how, however it pans out. Um, but yeah, I, I typically deploy as if I'm going second, um, and then, but hopefully not handicap myself too much if I do end up being able to take first and and uh, seize the initiative. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm just chuckling here because it just reminds me of you know our good friend Tony who who was last at Masters. It just reminds me of that. You know, so often he'll he'll have some sort of scheme like getting the first dice roll, or you know, uh, or something that could go right on a certain turn, and he'll yep. be quite happily on the other side of the table going, "If this comes off, you're stuffed." You know, <laughs> yeah. oh, t- Tony loves his alpha strike, <laughs> <laughs> that overwhelming dread, and then you roll the dice, and you and it yeah. all washes away when you win. Yeah, and how how often does the hobby side affect your list building, or or really you you will mostly hobby towards a list that you're happy with already, or happy-ish with? Yeah, so the the play style and the and the 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 rules for the unit that I really enjoy really comes first. Um, but I can say for the first army that I did uh, for Kingdoms of Men, I don't think I've ever played a list played played a game without my uh, the first unit I ever finished, which is the. I don't even know how to say the word arquebusier, uh, the the um, piercing two upgraded uh, crossbows. I think they are. Um, so I've yeah, I've got I've got a special attachment to that that unit being the first one I painted. Um, so I I wouldn't typically take a list without it. I just I just make the kingdoms of men work with them with that horde uh, included. Yeah, don't worry about pronunciation, mate. No one will ever correct you on this show in the comments, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Say it with a thick enough French accent and no, yeah, one, yeah. no one will know. Oh, we'll yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, that takes us through, I think, most of our principles. Uh, so so let's let's put that into a specific list, um, whether that's your ogre list or, or, or another one. Uh, wh- what do you want to go through? Uh, I'm happy to go through the through the ogre list. That's what I've been playing yeah. most recently okay. and uh, most familiar with. Pull that ogre list up again, and and maybe if we think about like so specifically when you're building this list, w- what is the function these guys are p- fulfilling, and you know, in in what we've talked about, how what are they playing well with, and and things like that. So um, we may as well start at the top of the list where you've got your hunters. Yeah, so the the hunters fill a similar role to the berserker braves. Um, both have um, decent speed, um, so threat range of fourteen and threat range of fifteen, respectively. Um, they can both put out a bit of hurt, um, and obviously the hunters have the the additional ensnare rule, so they can be uh, tricky to kill if if what they're facing doesn't have pathfinder as well. So that all of a sudden they're negative two to hit if I'm if I'm playing them properly in a in a piece of terrain, so I guess the they've got that uh, speed, so they're able to outrange some things. Although they're not premium speed, they're also great for um, for being able to support 
the the other units. So if I if I can place them a little bit to the side, but they've they've got enough speed to still be relevant later on. Mm-hmm. So you're um, tending towards these guys because they are a bit of a mixed role unit compared to something like a siege breaker. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'd I'd actually drop the siege breakers before I dropped either the hunters mm-hmm. or the, or the braves. I agree. I love hunters so much. Yeah, mm. and, I, and I like you've got the siege- you go. No, it's okay. I was just going to say I, I like the siege breakers, but um, I do find that I misplay them more than the other other units, just because um, I'm a little. It seems funny because they're a much more basic unit, but I I, uh, I tend to either try and protect them too much, and then they're less relevant during the game, or I don't protect them enough, and they're and they're gone too early. So they don't really fit my playstyle very well, although they are a great standalone unit. And you picked this Daying Stone on them, which I'm assuming is, because I'm looking at this list, I think you've only got, yeah, you've only got the three items, which is that, the Chalice of Wrath and the Boots of Striding. And so what I'm imagining is basically you didn't have enough points for the Headstrong item, so they end up with the Staying Stone because of that risk of shooting. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. If I if I could have um, afforded the Headstrong, they, they, that would be on there. Uh, but points were a little bit tight, um, and we'd go back and in, go into it later. But um, the boomer sergeant, he has his role. But if I if I had a few more points, he would definitely be a, a berserker bully. Yeah, yep. And so two two regiments of warriors. So are these for are these for unlocks? Are these for? I mean, you mentioned you don't really. I mean, you don't really subscribe to chaff, but obviously they're also 120 points, which is a pretty cheap scoring unit that still does something. What's what? Where do you see? Why do these guys make it into your list in this form? Yep. So again, they've got they've got multiple uh, roles. They can screen. Um, they are susceptible to wavering at inconvenient points. So their their usefulness for screening can can vary. If it's if I'm not going to get shot first turn, um, then they. They're happy to just sit in front of the siege breakers or, or another ogre horde. Otherwise, they'll be um, they'll be off to the side, at least giving cover, um, but so that my other units can see see past them. They unlock, which is fantastic. Um, so the list that most lists that I take, uh, I'll max out the the unlocks um, or the the things that I need. So I don't have spare spare unlocks in my list typically, um, yep. although I might have. I think one or two lists that I've made have have a couple of extra, but most of the time it's pretty pretty bare bones. I won't have well, and, that, and that'll that'll somewhat depend on the construct of the of the list itself, right? As in the larger list, not the list you're taking. You know, you've yeah. got to have stuff to fill all the slots. You know, like yeah. if it was elves, they don't really have monsters. So um, that's true. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So you um, more likely to take regiments. Yeah, I would be anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we move on to the siege breakers with the chalice of wrath. So that's the. I mean, you 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 alluded to them. Oh, actually, I was just going to touch on that. It was it's a salient point around because like, a lot of people would see the warriors of as chaff, but it's it's a it's a good point when thinking of your chaff, isn't it? That the last thing you want with your chaff is it being wavered in front of you, hmm. <laughs> um, and or like that might be actually part of your plan sometimes, but certainly you don't want it wavered when it's going to hold you up, when it's going to stop you from taking that next step. So it's a, it's a worthwhile for newer players. It's a worthwhile thought to think about if they are looking towards those units that they're happier to throw away. Yeah, that you're not um, using them to, to block up and then some annoying little 
individual blocks them up and then you, your whole line is, is, is blocked up because your warriors can't kill that, uh, that vampire or whatever it is. So, yeah, making sure that the chaff doesn't then become the thing that, that stops your whole army from moving forward is... Yeah, it's yeah, one of those yeah. Learning experiences. It's meant to give you. It's meant to give you board control, but then it works against you. Yeah, that's right. Because all of a sudden, yeah. you, you, the rest of your you, army can't see. That's actually another point. I'll skip ahead. Um, the sergeants on chariots having height four is mm. a is a big thing with this list, um, and I also the boomer chariots to a lesser extent. But mm. um, them being able to see over the top with nimble, um, if I ever find myself in that in that situation where I'm getting a bit clogged up, the, the sergeants are able to see over the top and and, um, and become more relevant more quickly than something that's just the same height as everything else. Well, and still cheap enough, right? 150 points. Yeah. If they, yeah. If they uh, have to be thrown away, they have to be thrown away. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll come back up to the Siege Breakers. So you mentioned them. And so, so you said that they're, they're a unit that, you know that you don't tend to play as well as you think you you could, uh, and they've got the chalice of wrath on this, and um, yeah, you, you've spoken about why you would do that. So, so in this list and its construction, why have this other over a second unit of hunters? Uh, partly because I don't have a second unit of hunters painted. <laughs> um, but <laughs> a good reason. This, this, this is um, I've I've got a boomer horde, and that's about it. That's not in this list. Um, the the siege breakers um, they do something a little bit different to the hunters. They are more resilient to um, non piercing shooting, so uh, especially against things like the dwarves. Um, I'm happy for you know two or three uh, lots of mastiffs to go into the siege breakers. Like go to town, I don't really care because you you're not going to do that much. Um, but I wouldn't do that with the hunters because all of a sudden the hunters will be at risk of wavering if. Um, if the the mastiffs roll average or above average, yeah, and so even it, and even more resilient if they're backed up by your boomer chariots. Yeah. Oh well, areas. not not yeah. in the case of mastiffs, but yeah. Um, oh, sorry, for, not for, for most, most other shooting. shooting in general. Yeah, non-piercing shooting. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. So I guess they they are uh, an option depending on the opponent I'm facing or the the opponent's list uh, to to be right at the front and absorb some of that initial. Um, punishment uh, yeah. that that other other units can't really do as well. Although you could say that just a basic uh, warrior horde um, with defense five could could accomplish mostly the same thing, and you'd save fifty points. Yeah, that, I mean that's often where I find myself with list building is is warriors or or hunters instead, right? Um, but yeah, and so then we come down to the. I, I think this is probably even rarer than hunters to see in a list. Is is this horde of berserker braves with the boots of striding? I'm guessing the boots is more about. Well, they've got a volume attacks. So you really want them to be hitting on those fours and not fives. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, why the braves? So these guys are my. Um, well, I typically play them as the the alpha strike. So threatening 15 inches keeps keeps the opponent honest. They are one of the reasons I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, when I'm if I if I win the roll to for sides, I'm a lot of the time looking for where's where where the hills are. So typically there's two hills on a map. So I'll be looking is there is there a hill I can get to in my first turn that the berserker braves can sit up on, um, and threaten that 
so with the striding, doesn't matter where they're charging, they're, they're going to get that, that, well, very likely to get that thunderous charge one. Um, and Nomagrok having Bane Chant, all of a sudden you've got 30 attacks hitting on fours with negative uh, three to your defense. Mm. Um, and that'll threaten about anything in the game. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's something about rolling volume dice, isn't there? <laughs> I think it's just... And like not, it feels good, but also I don't know. I just feel like I feel like rolling a lot of dice in that one go. It, it just feels like you got that chance of a spike. <laughs> yes, yes. As long as you don't yeah. roll all those dice and then um, have to reorganise your dice later for the for the lesser attacks. But um, yeah, it is it is a good feeling um, rolling rolling all those dice and seeing all those four pluses. Although. Typically, when when you do that, I, I don't know about other people, but I always see the the ones and twos first. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it it is it does give that point of difference, I suppose. So um, you're not yeah. looking at just that hitting on threes, eighteen attacks. Um, I think most of the time, on averages, they they have a similar similar effect. Um, and another reason why I like the um, Berserker Braves is the is the fearless dash eighteen. So. Yeah. Um, means I'm not needing to give them uh, an item to to keep them uh, from from wavering the extra wild charge as well so a 15 inch threat range is it feels like a lot more than just your standard movement 6 12 inch threat range so sure. it's just yeah. that that diversity of speed again um, yeah. putting them up on a hill all of a sudden your opponent doesn't want to get within 15 inches with anything that that matters to them so then we come onto the boomer chariots, which I guess you've you've there's there's a little bit of speed on them, but at at face value they basically seem to be your shooting insurance policy because they don't really do much else. Pretty much, um, yeah. them. Well, yeah. So they've got the stealthy orion, that's great, and it's probably one of the more predictable drops in the list. Um, you know, you pick, you put them behind a, an ogre regiment or or another horde, and you and you build a box around them. Uh, other other things I have found is that when combined with the boomer sergeant, um, all of a sudden you've got a, a a boomer horde's worth of attacks coming into something, um, spread out over two units. So um, there there is an interesting synergy there with the boomer sergeant. So a, a bit of shooting that you're not going to just shut down in one turn with one unit, and also towards you know turn four, five, six, once they've done a lot of their stealthy um, uh, shooting mitigation. They, they do have that 16-inch threat. So if we're talking about chaff, they can they can easily be thrown away um, to block up something that um, is threatening, something more valuable in the list. And then we've got the Mammoth, who you've upgraded to the big deal. Does he come as a little deal? I, I think I've only seen the Mammoth in the Ogre lists as yeah, the big deal. Yeah, exactly. Because I think the for 30 points, what you gain in terms of not like – it's not like you just get inspiring. You get the very inspiring. And that extra brutal – is just uh, a well brutal too on itself, but then the ability to grant that extra brutal, it's it's a real. I mean, I'm I'm imagining you see this guy, like versatile, yes, but but as your game changer in some ways. Yeah, yeah, he's also a, a unit that um, you can put into sticky situations, put him behind a fence, um, put him in a forest, and as well as being able to project the threat with Strider, he's also able to absorb a lot of punishment. So um, defense 5-18, um, you've got to put some serious firepower into him to, to take him down. Um, and, he, and he does go down occasionally, but 
by that stage, your opponent's probably committed most of their their damage dealing hammers to to killing that. So you're able to push somewhere else. Yeah, and compared to some other chariot monsters or other monsters, you know, fixed attacks and things is 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 really good. Yeah, mm. it's yeah, great value there. Yeah, and and um, thunderous two, crushing two. Um, so on the charge, um, defense six. So outside of um, I've got Bane Ch- I've got um, Crushing Two. I've got a little bit of Crushing, but the only thing that's really going to be that 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 can opener for the high defense units. A lot of defense six is that is the is the mammoth. So if he can go in with something else like a um, a sergeant on chariot, he's going to seriously threaten something else. Well, that's the thing, right? With a combo charge, even if the other thing doesn't have a, a large amount of crushing, if he's done five wounds, the mammoth. You know, yeah, the the other one only needs to do one or two to bring whatever it is close to a waiver. Yep, yep. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about uh, how Kuzlo and Madfall come into that, hanging no. off the edge of that combat. Yeah. We probably touched on the Wranglers enough, I think, in terms of your, unless there's something else you wanted to say about them, you've got your two Wranglers. Uh, they're kind of your Swiss Army knives, board control, help you clean up after any mistakes, which, of course, don't happen in a master. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, not really. No, um, speed, volume of attacks. Um, they, uh, you know, when you see the, when I see the, um, I think uh, the flying seductress that can come over and and threaten things. Um, they're a great mm. answer for that. Um, they they just and and dragons. Um, so they they cover over a lot of gaps in the in the ogre list and and yeah. I think and even duelist. You know, it's just oh. yeah. They've just got such a good set of rules. They really just do what they say on the tin, right? Um, Pretty much. And they're one of these units that are good, like they're fairly, in terms of playing with them, like, yes, you can make mistakes with them, but because they've got such a good set of rules, they're a bit idiot-proof, aren't they? You know, because they can just do <laughs> so much. Yeah, They are. And through the legs means that you don't have to have them up the front. Yeah, you um, can make an error with your positioning. Yep, yep. Um, and so if, if uh, you're coming up to closing the battle lines, um, you don't have an individual up the front that could get killed and then overrun into the rest of your units. So um, you can protect them a little bit more more easily while still projecting that threat. The sergeant's good because they're that little bit of extra height, you know, give you that, that variability in speed uh, as, well as, as well as nimble with that combined height. So they're, yep. again, not unlike the Wranglers, that little bit of uh, they can fulfill multiple roles for you, adding some, adding some shooting fire uh, or some wounds with sheathing as well as board control. And anything else to add to that? Yeah, I'll just to say that I got um, destroyed by two sergeants, mounted sergeants with heavy crossbows by uh, Steve Tuck's army back at Clash. And I, uh, I, I really thought I really rated them as a as one of those great toolbox uh, units that that can are relevant all game from turn one through to turn six. Um, they they contribute. They've got to be looked after a little bit with defense four, but um, yeah, they're 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 a solid they're a solid unit. Mm. And talk to us about the boomer sergeant. <laughs> Um, again, the boomer would love to upgrade to a, upgrade to a bully if points allow, but um, there are some synergies. So he's he's useful for uh, holding on to to tokens. Being you know if something else claims something, he can he can be hanging around the back um, against dwarves that have used their uh, their dogs. He likes to just fling back and annoy them a little bit. Um, 
and he's and he gets in the way so he can he can charge 12 inches so all that for 90 points he doesn't self-inspire or inspire anything else um but he he does have a few uses he's not a i'll I'll be honest and say he's not he's not the first choice in the list um he's probably one of two units that could pretty easily go uh but uh yeah he's he's okay for what he does he's got unit strength so yeah i i I would he's another scoring drop isn't he yeah, he's another scoring drop. That's right. Yeah. When when I'd looked at him in the past, one of, I think one of the good things for him is if you're looking at if you've got the unlock, his amount of shooting is the same as a regiment of boomers, basically, right? So he's That's got right. some, you know, he, he he's got some advantages there. But yeah, but he's he's basically the only thing in the ogre list that doesn't have inspiring. So he he loses a little bit there. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Um, I don't know what he needs, but um, yeah. Anyway, he's he, 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 he's in by the list, far he the, okay. the least powerful choice in the list, isn't he? Right, but like, yeah, he, he's yeah. You got ninety points. You know, you may as well have another scoring drop that has a bit of versatility. But you know, he doesn't really compete against the other characters if you've got the points. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So um, if I if I have a chaff piece, it's probably the closest. Closest thing in the list, something that I'm willing mm. to throw away just to yeah, block yeah. up for a turn. Mm. Look, Nom Nom, I don't think we need to talk about him. He's probably up with the Siege Breakers. He's probably the closest thing to what most people consider autos. Um, but yes. what about Kuzlo and Madfall? Oh, one of my favourites. Um, about this. Yeah, so uh, against um, a, a strong spellcaster, he's, he's got the hex and he's got the movement um and the and the height to be able to to generally see what he wants to hex um he's uh movement eight with with pathfinder so he can generally get where he wants to go um on a on a couple of games um uh, i was able to slip him past the lines um of my of my opponents so they said oh he can go that far oh whoops i didn't see that didn't see that Mm. rear or that flank so he's he's a slippery little bugger um and with the regen four plus, um, I don't really mind if he gets some attention early from shooting, because um, he'll even if he does waver, it doesn't really phase me too much because it's not those wounds aren't permanent. Um, oh, just, I experienced that often firsthand against you. Yeah. You were three turns of shooting and you regen almost every single one back every time. And yeah, was, to be uh, honest, I'm I'm happy if someone's shooting that. He's thirteen fifteen, so you've really got to put a lot of firepower into him to yeah. kill him. Yeah, plink shooting isn't enough. That's right. Yeah, mm. um, and with his his aura of um, what's it called, ravenous lizard, uh, mm. which gives uh, negative one leadership to every unit, including allied or um, friendly units uh, within six inches. Uh, it really combines well with the uh, plus brutal one that the mammoth gives away. The big deal, um, mm. so uh, units can find themselves at negative three nerve before combat's even started. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think he's a great um, and you you play him really well. And I, I think he's, I mean, you mentioned about the uh, list construction, if someone hasn't seen it before, being enough to throw people off. I think that on its own is a, for a lot of people, is a disconcerting choice, right? You don't really know what it does and it just really gets some thinking straight up. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I used uh, Sticky Tongue all game. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, other than that, as in on Kuzlo or yourself? On on <laughs> on, on Kuzlo. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, it didn't become relevant, but Enthrall has been useful in the past, getting things out of three inches of tokens um, when relevant. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I hope that gives listeners. I, I mean, I really enjoyed that. I think uh, I hope that gives our listeners a a good insight into how you're going about lists and you know how how good players think about their list construction. And and I think over the list builder studios, we we hear quite a bit of variety in how people go about building their lists. Now it's traditional for us to ask some rapid fire questions to finish up, Stephen. All right, so are you ready for this? There's 10 in a row, and then you're, you're off the hook for the evening. All right, throw okay. them at me. What's your favourite army? Salamanders. Least favourite scenario? The one where I have to think more, so uh, Fool's Gold or something like that. Oh, yeah. What drives you, create, creative creativity or competitive play? Uh, just between those two options, competitive play. When your opponent rolls snake eyes, oh, I'll I'll smile and say um, that's terrible luck. I'm so sorry, but I don't really mean the sorry. <laughs> what about when you roll snake eyes? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It depends how important it is, but um, most I'll have a bit of a whinge for for thirty seconds or so, but I try and move on pretty quick. What's your favourite hobby material? Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm enjoying the. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to leave that one down. Um, The uh, I'm enjoying the speed paints um, because I'm a slow painter. I need every bit of help I can get to get things out quickly. Actually, I might. Oh, it's it's a rapid fire, but I'll I'll also say I've recently got a, a airbrush, so I'm enjoying. Um, experimenting with that. Yeah, great. I mean, look, let's let's be honest. When it comes to Steve Devonish, she's probably is rapid, right? So, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the clock's my worst enemy so far. Yeah, yeah. What's your biggest gaming pet peeve? It would have to be when uh, I mess up some kind of movement. Um, uh, like if if I'm playing and I try and mark the back of a unit. I move the unit and then I, I knock the dice that I've just used to to indicate the back of the unit. It It's just that sloppy play from myself. I, I Yeah, it's very frustrating. If you had to replace miniature wargaming with another hobby, what would it be? Uh, I enjoy tennis, but if I was to pick another hobby, it would probably be um, something like uh, ping pong, table tennis, something like that, something where I can um, go, go and play any time in the year. Pickleball. 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 Never tried, but I'd be I'd be keen to try. Yeah, I yeah. don't know of any uh, places nearby. No, neither do I. But I've just seen it. Yeah, yeah. Looks yeah. looks interesting. So I'd yeah. probably give it a go. Mm. What other miniature ball game would you not want to play? Uh, I've tried all of one game of Age of Sigmar, and I I just didn't didn't like it. So I'd probably have to say that. Um, I haven't tried a whole bunch of mini, uh, miniature war games, but probably Age of Sigmar. I'm, I'm don't really have any interest in. Just didn't mm. didn't hold any appeal for me. And if you had a romantic evening with Ronnie Renton, what would you whisper sweetly to him? 
<laughs> I I have no idea, honestly. I would before uh, using your sticky tongue. Just <laughs> I would, <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> what have I done? Uh I, look, I, I think I would just en- enjoy the evening and um let let him be at ease without uh, worrying about any um, unwanted <laughs> advances. <laughs> oh, excellent answer. All right, Stephen, I'd like to thank you for giving up your time tonight. Anything else you'd like to add before we, we leave? Uh, no, well, not really, but just to, just to say I um, had, a, had a wonderful time at Masters and thanks, Matt, for, uh, for organising it um, alongside the, uh, the Masters team. I think you did a great job and it's really good to, to see how the, the Masters in Australia is, is developing. Um, this being the first year of the new format, um, I think it's – I think it's looking really good for the future. Thanks, mate. And what he also means there is suck it, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> no, just joking. <laughs> for, those, for those non-Australians, Stephen's just about one of the nicest guys on the on the war gaming scene. If you if you hadn't picked up that from our interview, uh, well, I hope you enjoyed that. A good couple of hours of of taking you through the masters and and how Stephen construct, uh, constructs lists. And uh, we'll leave it there for this evening. And so until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.